0: Welcome to the History of the Bible. Here we will look to the Bible and explore the history of God's story. From the perspective that the Bible is absolute truth, with events that actually happen with people that actually live. Never measuring what the Bible says and comparing it to man's theories, but always putting the theories under what the Bible says as truth. Come, join us in the History of the Bible podcast. Episode 5 Father Abraham. After the separation of languages and families at the Tower of Babel, Bible recounts the line of Shem again in Genesis eleven verse ten. This line of descendants lead to Abraham, who at this time was called Abram. From Noah to Abraham there were ten generations. Noah being the first and Abraham the tenth. Noah had Shem. Shem had Arphaxad, which would become the father of the Chaldeans a group of people that would find their home in southern Mesopotamia. As we'll see is where Abraham and his family were called out of. As the line of descendants continue, the grandson of Arphaxad is Eber. Eber is whom the word Hebrew comes from. Eber would then give birth to Phileg, which says that in his days that the earth was divided in Genesis 10 verse 25. The meaning of his name means divided. Now this can mean two different things. Many believe that this is where the continental drift theory that evolutionists believe in could explain the Bible. In the days of Phileg, the earth was divided as a so-called clear explanation for the drift theory by some. The once large supercontinent called Pangea was broken apart to look like the world that we see today. Although Christian scholars don't disagree with the Pangea theory, it was actually a creationist scientist that suggested the theory. But the time in which it was done is what the disagreement is about. You see, evolutionists believe that it happened over millions of years that slowly pulled the continents away from each other, whereas on the other hand, many creationists believe that the split happened very quickly, more so a continental sprint than a slow drift this event many believe, would be the flood. The second thing is that the earth was divided during the days of Phileg because he was alive during the building of the Tower of Babel. Based on the context of the Bible, in Genesis 10, it gives the descendants of Noah. In chapter 11, it takes 9 verses to explain the Tower of Babel, and then in verse 10 of chapter 11, it goes right back to the descendants of Noah. In verse 8, it says that God dispersed the people all over the earth. In the days of Phileg, the earth was divided because God confused their languages and split them up into different nations that would eventually cover the whole world. Also, if the world was split up again in Phileg's days, it would have caused another worldwide catastrophe that would have been mentioned in the Bible. Other things would not have been able to happen either if the continents moved in his day. For example, the Ark landed in the mountains of Eryat in modern day eastern Turkey. These mountains are thought to have formed because the Eurasian plate and the African plate collided with each other. These mountains would not be there for the Ark if the world had not yet been divided continentally. Now to give a little bit of a background on the dates of these events. It is thought that the flood happened between the years 2349 and 2348 BC, which is about 1656 years after the creation of the world. This would place the creation of the world at 4004 BC. Based on the ages of the birth of Shim's descendants, this would place Phileg being born around 2247 BC, just about 100 years later. And this does line up with what is seen in history as well. In 331 BC, Alexander the Great traveled to Babylon after the victory over Darius at Gagamela. Here it is said that he received 1,903 years of astronomy observation from the Chaldeans since the founding of the Babylonian city. If this dating is correct, then the founding of the city would be near the year 2,234 BC. This would mean that the city was founded when Phileg was only 13 years old. As mentioned before, Babel and Babylon are thought to be two different cities. Therefore, the earth was divided at the Tower of Babel sometime between those 13 years. Some say that it happened around the time Phileg was 5 years old. This would mean that God separated the people in the year 2242 BC, only 246 years before Abraham would step into the scene. With that in mind, because of the drastic drop in the time that people would live, many of the generations were still alive when Abraham was born. In Genesis 9 verse 28, it says that Noah lived 350 years after the flood. That would place Noah dying in 1998 BC. Abraham was born in the year 1996 BC, only two years after Noah had died. Of the other ten generations from Noah to Abraham, only three generations would no longer be alive when Abraham was born. Those three would be Noah, dying in 1998 B.C., Phileg, who died in 2008 B.C., and Nahor, which was Abraham's grandfather, died in 2007 B.C. This would mean that Shem was alive during the time of Abraham, and in reality Shem almost outlived Abraham. Abraham died in 1821 BC, and Shem died in 1846 BC, only 25 years apart from each other. Now Terah, Abraham's father, lived 70 years and begot Abram, Nahor, and he ran. We aren't sure when any of Terah's kids were born or what order they were born in. All that we know is that after 70 years, he had three sons. In Genesis 11, verse 27 through 32, we see that in Ur, the land of the Chaldeans, is where Abram is born. Now Ur is supposed to be a city in the land of the Chaldeans, but no one has found the actual city yet. Some think that it's a city that is 150 miles northwestward from the Persian Gulf. Although some scholars believe that Ur isn't a city at all, and said Ur could simply mean land. If that was the case, then Abram came out of the land of the Chaldeans rather than the city of Ur. The land of the Chaldeans was located in what is called the Fertile Crescent. This crescent was thought to have run from the Persian Gulf where the Euphrates emptied into it and then would run up to the city of Babylon which is about 300 miles of territory. As mentioned, Terah had three sons in Ur of the Chaldeans. Heran dies and has three children of his own before his death. He only had one son, which would be Lot, and two daughters. Milcah, which would become the wife of Abram's other brother, Nahor, and Ishka. Nothing else is said about Ishka nor Nahor and his wife Milcah, but Lot becomes somewhat of an adopted son to Abram. Abram would also take for himself a wife while living in Ur, Sarai, which we find out was his half-sister in Genesis 20 verse 12. Pharaoh would take Abram, Sarai, and Lot with him as he left the land of his fathers and headed to the land of Canaan. However, he would never make it to Canaan. The Bible says that they ended up settling in the land of Haran, an ancient city that is located in the upper part of Mesopotamia in modern-day Turkey, closer to the border of Syria. It was thought to be a major city in ancient times because it was on trade route that connected the east to the west. No one knows why they ended up traveling almost 600 miles to the northwest to the city of Haran. However, there is a connection between the two cities. It was said that Abram's family worshipped idols, especially coming out of the culture of the Babylonians. And these two cities had just that. Both Ur, whether a city or not, and Haran were known for their worship to the Babylonian moon god Sin. The temple of Haran is thought to be even more famous in the ancient world. Although the Bible does not say anything on why they stayed at Haran and didn't continue their journey to Canaan, this could have played a key role in that decision. It wasn't until the death of Terah that Abram was then called out by God to separate himself from his family and their religion and go to the land of Canaan. In Joshua 24 verse two, it says that Abraham's father worshiped other gods. And not only was this a new place for Abram, but it was leaving his family clan, Shem, and heading to another, Ham. In Hebrews 11 verse 8, it says that by faith he left his family to go to the land that he did not know, but God told him his children would one day inherit all the land of Canaan. In Genesis 12 verse 1 through 3, the promise was given to Abram to make him a great nation one day and to be great on the earth. God also promises him that every nation would be blessed through him a hint at the coming Messiah through his family line. The only issue with this promise, from Abram's point of view, was that he had no children with Sarai because she was barren. Therefore, at the age of 75, Abram took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and everything that they had acquired in Haran, both herds and people, and set out for the land of Canaan. This time, though, they would actually arrive in Canaan. In Genesis 12, verse 7 and 8, it says that Abram stopped in the land of Shechem, which is in modern-day Nablus in Israel. The city is between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, which will later come up when Joshua takes over the promised land. Here is where God again reaffirms his promise with Abram by saying that every area that he sees will one day be his children's. Abram would eventually set up his tent between Bethel and Ai. However, he wouldn't stay in Canaan. Due to a famine in the area, he would head down to Egypt. When Abram got to Egypt, he was fearful for his life because of his wife's beauty. Some scholars say that if a pharaoh wanted a man's wife, he would just kill the husband and take the wife for himself. Other scholars say that the Egyptians would have killed him and taken her as a possession. Now it doesn't say what type of possession that she would be, but based on some ancient Egyptian traditions. She would be used for sexual hospitality. When a guest would come over, the host would present the visitor with a sexual favor to help create an alliance between the guest and the host. Therefore, he came up with the idea to pretend that Sarai, his wife, was his sister. That way they wouldn't kill him and take his wife because she was already seen as Abram's sexual possession. Either way though, in the end the Pharaoh took Sarai anyways. Although the Pharaoh did give Abram a handsome payment for Sarai with many sheep, oxen, male donkeys and male and female servants, interestingly it doesn't say anywhere that Abram did anything to stop Sarai from being taken. It wasn't until when God stepped in and plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues as it says in Genesis 12 verse 17. Only then did Pharaoh find out that Sarai was Abram's wife. Once Pharaoh found this out, before he had taken Sarai for a wife for himself, he gave her back to Abram and sent them away in peace. Now we don't know how long Abram was in Egypt, but it says that he left Haran when his father died at the age of 75. In Genesis 16 verse 16, it says that Abram was 86 when Hagar gave birth to Ishmael. Given the time for a child to develop in the womb, it most likely was ten years had passed from the time Abram left Haran, went down to the land of Canaan, continued down to Egypt, and then came back into the land of Canaan and took Hagar as his wife. However, some historians say that Abram was in Egypt long enough to teach them of the sciences that the Chaldeans had already discovered. As Abram and his wife and all that he had, it says in Genesis 13 verse 2 that Abram was very wealthy. They left Egypt and they came back to the original place that God had given the promise to him in the land of Canaan. However, because of the amount of livestock that both he and Lot had together, it says that the land was not able to sustain both of them. Therefore, they decided to part ways. Abram, given the choice of the land to Lot, would go in the opposite direction. With that, Lot took the plain of Jordan. That left Abram what was in the opposite direction, which would be the land of Canaan. Once Lot left Abram, God then gave him the same promise that his descendants would one day inherit the land that he saw all around him. Therefore, Abram moved his tent to Hebron and dwelt next to the trees of Mamre. Now, Hebron is a very important city and it is mentioned 87 times in the Bible. Abram, Isaac, Jacob, and their wives would all be buried there in a tomb in a field that Abram purchased. In Genesis 23 verse 18, it says that this purchase was done in front of the city gates, meaning that the city of Hebron was a walled city. At about 3,000 feet above sea level, this is a city where King David would be anointed king of Judah and reign there for seven years. And because it has ties to Abram, it is one of the holy cities for both the Jewish and Muslim communities. It is located about 20 miles south of Jerusalem, and the name of the city derives its name from the Hebrew word that means friend, seeing that Abram was the friend of God. Lot went to the plain of Jordan. This plain, or valley, of the Jordan runs from the Sea of Galilee and goes all the way until the inlet of the Dead Sea. The width of the valley averages about 6 miles. But it can be much smaller than that. And although the Jordan River runs 135 miles, the actual distance is about 65 miles. In Genesis 13, verse 10, it says that before Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed, this plain was well watered, just like the Garden of Eden was. In this valley, there are five kings that live there Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Admah, Shimber, king of Zeboam and King of Bela, each one being a city-state that served under Cadillamor, King of Elam. These five kings formed an alliance with each other to present a single front against the kingdom that they were subjects to. These cities were thought to have been on the south side of the Dead Sea. Not only was it fertile in and around the cities, but it was also thought to have been a point where travelers would come through to go between Egypt and Mesopotamia. Bring great wealth to the city states in the Jordan Valley. In the 13th year of serving the king of Elam, these five kings in their city states rebelled and stopped paying tribute. Therefore, in the 14th year, the king of Elam and three other kings came down to crush the rebellion. Elam was a country in the modern day southwestern part of Iran, in the province of Kazakhstan. They weren't a people group, but were more so a federation of different people. This would be on the edge of the Persian Gulf, next to where the Euphrates and the Tigris River empty into the Gulf. The capital is Susa, which Elam would sometimes be called after as Susiana. The people of Elam were closely related to the Mesopotamian culture, and were called so by the Akkadian and Sumerian people because it means highlands or high country. This country would later be conquered by the Babylonians and then the Persians. That is why much of their history is lost today. However, we do know that their kingdom did reach from the Persian Gulf area, most of the Mesopotamian region, and all the way to the land of Canaan, controlling much of the area that would later entail the Babylonian Empire. The ruler of the Elam Empire was Cataleomor. Not much is known about him or the other kings, but it does seem that he was the leader of the four kings. These other three kings ruled the city of Babylon, which was a city in the Mesopotamian area, south of Babylon, and the king of Goyim, which can be translated as nations. The ruler of Babylon was called Amraphel. Although it isn't for sure, some try to place him as the Babylonian ruler named Hammurabi, who was the sixth king, the first dynasty of Babylon, and would conquer all of Mesopotamia, the Assyrian Empire, the Larsa Empire, and the Elam Empire. Jewish tradition says that Amraphel was the real name of Nimrod from the Tower of Babel, and that he was ruling the city state of Babylon. Whoever Amraphel was, he did rule the city state of Babylon. title, the ruler of Goyim, or of the nations, is thought to be a word that can be translated to mean one of the five Hittite kings, although which one isn't clear. It could also be the name that refers to the Assyrian king Sennacherib who was called Tudula by the Sumerians, meaning evil offspring. Another thought, and this is where the translations for nations come from, is that the word could be referring to various groups of barbarians that helped the Babylonians. The ruler of Elasar is Ariok. He is thought to have been Ariakku, king of Larsa. Larsa would later be conquered by Babylon when Hammurabi was able to bring all the city-states of Babylon under his rule, but at one point they were two separate kingdoms that were growing into power. Larsa was a very popular trade center on the Persian Gulf that caused it to grow and expand. In the 14th year, these four kings and their empires, Elam, Larsa, the Hittite or Assyrians, and the Babylonians all came up against the five city state kings in the Jordan Valley. On their way to make war against the five kings, they waged war and conquered the Rephims, the Zuzims, the Imams, and the Horites, all of which were thought to be giants living in the land of Canaan. These giants will be discussed later, as they will still be living in the land when Joshua leads the Israelites to conquer the promised land. After defeating many powerful tribes, The four kings turned back towards their original purpose in coming, to subdue the five rebellious kings and their cities. The nine kings all lined up for battle in the Valley of Sedim. This valley was on the south side of the Dead Sea, where most of the five kings and their city-states were situated. The valley in which they lined up for battle was full of asphalt pits. Not much detail is given about the fight itself, except the five kings and their troops were routed by the four invading kingdoms. As the kings won the battle, they plundered the cities, taking all the goods with them. In their plundering, they took Lot and all of his goods and began their journey home after a successful campaign against the people in the land of Canaan. However, the war wasn't over yet. Abram got word that his nephew had been taken in the battle of the nine kings and wanting to save him from captivity, Abram prepared for battle by arming his 318 servants. Abram also had allies as well three Amorite chiefs that joined Abram in pursuit of the four Mesopotamian kings. Abram and his army would eventually catch up with the kings at Dan. In the night, Abram split up his army to attack. His army would rout them and pursue them all the way to Hobah, which is north of Damascus. This pursuit would have been over 30 miles. After the victory, Abram and his allies were able to bring back all of the goods as well as the captives, including his nephew Lot. On his way back, Abram was met by the king of Sodom and the king of Salem in the king's valley just outside of Jerusalem. The king of Salem is named Melchizedek, who is the high priest of the Most High God. The city of Salem would later be called Jerusalem. Melchizedek is somewhat a mysterious person. His name means king of righteousness, and the city that he rules is Salem, which means peace, making him the king of righteousness and peace. In Genesis 14 verse 18, it says that Melchizedek was the priest of El Elyon, meaning the God Most High. After his encounter with Abram, nothing else is seen from him again until he is brought up in Psalms 110 verse 4 and also in Hebrews chapter 5, 6, and 7. In Hebrews 7 verse 3, it says that he has no father or mother or any genealogy that he doesn't have neither a beginning nor an end, but resembled the Son of God being a priest forever. Because of this, many think that Melchizedek was a pre-incarnation of Jesus. In Hebrews 6 verse 20, it says that Jesus was after the order of Melchizedek. However, there is no mention of anyone else holding that position. This causes many to think that Melchizedek was Jesus himself, eternally holding the position of high priest. Every human being has a beginning and an end, but Melchizedek does not. Thus, it could be considered that Jesus came to Abram as the king of peace and righteousness and blessed him. Therefore, when Abram came back from the battle with the kings, Melchizedek met him and his men and gave him bread and wine and a place to rest. After being blessed, Abram then gives the tithe to Melchizedek. This is the first time that the tithe comes up way before the law was given to Moses. The word tithe literally means one-tenth. Therefore, after winning his battle, Abram gave one-tenth of his spoils to the high priest. After being blessed by the king of peace, the king of Sodom tries to give Abram all the goods that he had recovered from his battle. But Abram refused the goods because he didn't want it being said that of him the king of Sodom made him rich. The only thing that Abram asked was that he would make an exception for the food that his servants had eaten and give a portion of the goods to his three Amorite chiefs. After these things, God appears to Abram in a vision and tells him that he is his shield and reward. However, this is the first time that Abram questions God's promise of a child. So join us next time as we take a look at Abram as he struggles with God's promise of a child to be born to him in episode 6 the promise. Thanks for listening to the History of the Bible podcast. Go ahead and rate review it and for ways to give feedback or to let us know how this podcast has impacted you, check out the links in the show notes. Also, be sure to tell your family and friends about the show. Until next time, remember that you are loved, special, and worthwhile.